All right, take our Bibles. Turn to Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3. As we continue our study in the Minor Prophets, and if you recall, Micah is the middle prophet. So we are halfway through, and we are about halfway through of the halfway prophet. All right, so... We're getting there, slowly but surely. Micah chapter 3, keep in mind, as you turn there, just a little bit of uh, just structural stuff. Micah is a message that comes to us in three cycles, and these cycles, you know, came over the course of 30 plus years. So we've already looked at the first cycle, and if you recall, the cycle that Micah uses is one of uh, God's judgment, indictment against rebellion, and then the promise of restoration. And so that cycle happens three times of that being God's message to His people. We've already seen the first cycle of that, chapters 1 and 2, and so as we jump into chapter 3, um, three, 3 up until 5, uh, will give us this second cycle. We'll read tonight, we won't get through all of it, as you can imagine, but we'll read all of chapter 3. Micah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them, break their bones and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but He will not hear them. He will even hide His face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds." Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore you shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity. Build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for pay. And her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, It's not the Lord among us. No harm can come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Let's say that everybody in this room 
was placed on a committee. And as a committee, we were charged with one task. Our task was to develop a plan of action that would ruin the country. What kind of things would we do? Anyone? What? Okay, hire Joe Biden. All right. That was Bill Klingenstein for those online. Okay. The IRS is watching. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. China's. Anyway. All right. Hire Joe Biden. Got it. Okay, all right, so one option is kind of, maybe there's already been that committee, right? It seems as if maybe that's already been done, and they're following a game plan, do what's already been done, all right? What else? What are some, what are some specific things we could do if we want to ruin, and, and by the way, not just this nation, but any nation, I mean, what would we do? That's our task. What, what else would we do? Diane? Do nothing. Do nothing? Okay, all right, just let it, let her run, all right? Yeah. Okay, take God out of the equation altogether. All right. Yeah, Bob. What's that? Okay, all right. So destroy morality. Okay. Michael? All right, so question those institutions charged with the right authority uh, to, uh, to, to govern, to bring justice. So um, it, it, could, it could include law enforcement. Uh, that would be an example. So challenge authority. Take away from them the right to, say, fulfill their obligations. All right? All right, so create a sense of tribalism, kind of create these independent groups and make them hate each other. Yeah, all right. John? Okay, all right, yeah, remove God from society. Go after the family, all right. Okay, deny truth, and I assume by that, like, that there's any standard of it, deny that there's any kind of, okay, all right, same. All right, sacrifice our children, okay? Did I see another hand, Marty? Did you have any? Yeah. All right, call evil good, and then call good evil. Now, now we're getting into some Micah, okay? Michael? Also make people more dependent on government for, for sources of income. Okay, all right. Okay, create a sense of, of dependency upon uh, sources outside of that which would cause you to be responsible for yourself, all right? Anybody else? The, these are, yeah, Keith. Okay. All right, so kind of quoting from Judges, that, that refrain that gets repeated through the book, every man did what was right, 
in his own eyes. You know, so all these, an- all these answers are kind of what, you know, I, I kind of expected would happen. What's interesting is that for the most part, maybe not every single one of them, but for the most part, they could be boiled down to the distinction that's there in your notes, that verse that's right on top. The Bible, I think, addresses this with a lot of simplicity. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2. This is not the only instance this kind of language shows up, but it is one of the clear ones. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. In other words, what the proverb is pointing out, and and by the way, this proverb was not necessarily, these proverbs that speak to civil issues, right, the issue of society and community, um, it's not necessarily just speaking of those who are living under God's covenant. I think the Bible does attest to the fact that those who are doing that which is right, You could put it even this way, those who are attempting to do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, for the right reasons. Now, that may not happen all the time, but that would be a blessing to the people, right? Those, though, who pursue another path, rather than pursuing righteousness, or or maybe even to use some of the language that Pastor John was teaching us on Sunday, rather than those being zealous for good works, there are those who pursue lawless deeds. And that's, that's the judge's reference. And if you want to destroy a nation, it's really not all that hard. Rather than pursuing righteousness, uh, allow wickedness to rule and reign. Uh, allow those things which are in opposition to God and to His Word, allow those things to be elevated, allow those things to be raised to the place of primacy and pursued then as a method. Allow those to be pursued. Now, this is nothing new, by the way. This, 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 is, not, this is not something that, that is unique to the United States. This has been ongoing for millennia. This is the nation of Israel. And in fact, you could argue that of any nation ever in human history, if you want to identify what nation could have been the world's greatest nation, there's no question. It's Israel. I know as Americans that makes us twitch a little bit, right? Okay? The truth is we don't have a covenant with God. God only made a covenant with one nation, just one. And it was Israel. And God made a promise to that nation. Live by the covenant stipulations and you will be blessed. If we could think theoretically for a minute, can you imagine what Israel would be like had she lived faithfully all of her generations? Can you imagine what that nation would look like today? Oh, we wouldn't have a concept. It would, it would have blown the United States out of the water You don't even have a concept of what it would look like to be in full a God-blessed people. Ah, there's no comparison. But what did they do instead? (laughs) Rather than live by that, and even taking advantage of the provisions God made for their own sin, for their own rebellion, God knew they would do that, but He provided in His law a way to deal with it. They don't. Instead, like judges, they do what was right in their own eyes. 
And rather than seeking righteous leaders, they pursue wicked ones. And rather than than seeking out prophets who would speak the truth, they seek to silence them and listen to those who only tell them what they want to hear. It's a pretty standard game plan, right? There's really nothing unique to this. And this is what is laid out in the Minor Prophets. Nowhere in the Bible, by the way, do we have a better commentary on this than the Minor Prophets. They lay out this case clearly. We've even talked about it in Micah, the fundamental point being made in a book like Micah. God expected His people to love Him and love others, and they're not doing either one. They're not doing either one. They're not, they're not living by the tablets of the commandments, right? They're not living as God has even enabled them to live. And so a book like Micah comes along and the minor prophets come along and they really function as commentary on this. They really provide clear insight from God on the failures of the nation. And so tonight we turn to Micah chapter 3 and we're not going to see anything really that's unusual. In other words, some of this language, fundamental ideas uh, we've come across before, though like all the minor prophets, Micah has his nuances and has his way of saying things. In fact, if you, were, if you were like listening and paying attention as we read those first few verses, you don't read much like that in the Bible, do you, right? Not a whole lot of flaying meat off the bones and cooking them in a pot. Uh, like that doesn't show up a whole lot. Again, Awana probably doesn't memorize that verse. I don't think Micah 3 is on the list uh, of, of verses that get memorized by children and catechisms and that kind of thing. There may be good reason for that. But but Micah chapter 3 comes along as another one of these indictment slash judgment pronouncements. And I think what it does is it does provide what what the the title of tonight's sermon is, which I've I've gotten as, as many comments about a title of a sermon 20 minutes before this sermon as any that I've ever done, all right? That's clearly resonated with us, right? How to ruin a nation. How would you do that? How would you go about, if you were trying to do it systematically, programmatically, how would you do that? Well, Micah chapter 3 details the rampant sin and rebellion among those who should be leading God's people in righteousness and truth. Suffering and judgment come on the heels of failed leadership. This, this is a principle repeated again and again. It's not the only reason why there would be suffering and judgment. And keep in mind, tonight, we're, and next week, we'll spend a lot of time talking about leadership, and really two kinds, civil leadership and religious leadership. God does hold them responsible in certain ways for the condition that Israel is in, for the condition that Judah is in. However, we should keep in mind, this doesn't mean that God's people were then somehow not accountable for committing sins themselves. So we want to be careful we don't make this mistake. That that, that we read stuff like this and that we say, oh, there you go, that's the problem. It's the leadership. If the leadership was right, then everybody else would be right. And the only reason the people sinned was because they had bad leaders. So never forget this, church. The reason why people sin is because they're wicked and depraved and they love to rebel against God. Period. And if you think, that's offensive, then I hit where I was trying to hit, all right? Because the truth is, apart from Christ, apart from our redemption, that's us, it's me, it's you. You say, no, I I don't love all that kind of sin and rebellion. If you're not going to submit to Christ, then yes, you do. Maybe not like this, 
But anything that's not submitted to Christ is in essence telling God you don't love him. And, and so, so really this, this is a, you know, a portrait of you know, what it looks like to do that which will guarantee suffering and judgment to come. And so as we look at this, we see uh, kind of two Two groups that, that are identified, the two, I guess, sides of leadership that were leading the nation of Israel, and God then addresses them very clearly. Now, I'll, I'll give you just a bit on, on the, the structure of the chapter. What he does is he lays out the indictment against one group, the judgment that he's going to give, then he mentions the second group and judgment. So he tells what they did and then how they're going to be judged. Then he comes back around at the end of the chapter to the first group again. So it's an interesting bit of a cycle within a cycle, so to speak. You can tell he has specific words directed at those who are heads of the house of Israel, those who are leaders. And keep in mind, when we use this language, we're not just talking about a king. We're talking about those with responsibility to rightly lead and influence the people. It's not just the one king. It would be any of them who had this kind of societal leadership responsibility. All right, so what are these two groups and what have they done? Well, we'll get to one of them or at least some of one of them tonight. Number one, first group would be civil leadership. Civil leadership, and like I said, he addresses them in verses 1 through 4, and then he comes back again in verses 9 through 12. And, and addresses, well, the, the way it opens up here in chapter 3, verse 1, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel. So again, we're not just talking about one person. We're talking about those who would have political, civil responsibilities. You know, and though, though our minds tend to think of like a monarchy, you know, like, a, like the Davidic king line or, or whatever, surely we recognize that even in a monarchy like that, a king, there were untold numbers of, of you know, c- civil um, employees, as it were, who had responsibility. These who were given authority and leadership underneath the king to manage the affairs of the people. So he's first addressing this group, and he's going to lay down at least five indictments against them. At least five indictments. And so some more blanks to fill in. Number one, the failure of justice. The first is a failure of justice. This is not going to be new information. This comes out. It may show up in every single one of them thus far. Some get emphasized more, but this issue of justice is a big deal. So, notice what he says, that last phrase of verse 1. Is it not for you to know justice? Now, already that's an interesting way to say that. It's a a question that, that is coming across as an indictment. And the indictment could come in kind of two different ways. Is it not for you to know this? So, so on the one hand, what he's saying is that this should be your wheelhouse. You should, you should know. You, it's your one job to ensure a just society. Is it not for you to know these things? And the word know there would imply more than just like to have some vague awareness. It, it's speaking of like, is it not for you to have expertise, 
to have d- deep understanding and to lead out in it, all right? It's not just to, you know, shouldn't you know about this stuff? It, it's more, you should be the models in it. You should be leading out in it. Is this not what you do? But kind of the other implication of that is, is this not what you do and you're not doing it? That's, that's what's implied. So either, and here's the problem, either they know and they're not doing it, or they're ignorant, and they're engaging in injustice. Either thing is an indictment. Though I would contend what Micah is getting at, what God is getting at through the prophet, is they know full well what kind of society they have helped to create. Now, let's keep in mind what we mean by justice here. Uh, you know, that's it gets such a hot-button word today, uh, and we talked about this, I think, um, I think really in the book of Amos, we spent a lot of time talking about justice. But keep in mind, biblically what he's talking about here is that those in leadership positions should be championing a society, a structure that is just. Say, so, yeah. well, Pastor, that's saying the same thing. That doesn't really answer the, doesn't really answer the issue. I will tell you what I don't think this means. I don't think this means some kind of equilibrium. What, what I mean is, I, I, in fact, I'm certain, it's not saying that those who are wealthy should have what's taken from them so they have less and given to those who don't have as much so that they can have more, so that kind of everybody is on this field. The Bible does not speak to that, all right? It does, it does not give that as a portrait of how things should be done Uh, It clearly identifies that they're going to be wealthy, they're going to be poor. And in fact, what the law is providing for is a society in which it's structured in such a way that if the rules are followed, then those who are without means are not trampled upon because they don't have means. So a just society is one that ensures that the rights and privileges afforded to citizenship are available to them all. Like, just because somebody has more money doesn't mean they have more citizenship. (laughs) Just because somebody has less doesn't mean that they have less. And where this really works out is, here's what was going on in Israel, that those who had power and wealth were building both their power and their wealth off the backs of those who had neither. Like they were targeting them, and we've already talked about this. They were targeting them instead of being a part of helping them in the midst of their pain and hurt. All right? So so, so it's it's not kind of some of the the issues that are bandied about today. It's a little bit more straightforward. God expects, and this, by the way, was a fundamental responsibility for civil leadership to ensure a just society that, that... that just because somebody is, say, poor and able to be manipulated doesn't mean that they should be, and that really they sh- the government, the leadership, should be organized in such a way to protect them from that kind of manipulation. But they were not doing that. In fact, the leadership was participating in it. They were creating structures that were allowing for it. We've already seen it in Micah, and we for sure have seen it in the other minor prophets. They were allowing these things. You, so is it not for you to know justice? And in fact, if you note, he then goes on to repeat this in verse 9. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who 
abhor justice and pervert all equity. So again, so notice what he's saying. They're turning it on its head. That, that rather than pursuing that which would be just and right and good for the people, they're, they're flipping it. They're pursuing those who are unable to protect themselves against those with power and wealth. They've targeted them in order to build their base. And we noted this even 